0: What's going on, everyone? Thank you for joining us for another episode of our podcast. I'm Les. And I'm Mo. And this is The Les and Mo Show. Hey, guys. Welcome back to another episode. Thank you for joining us. And we hope that you are all doing well out there. We wanted to remind you guys that we are doing a giveaway right now, and you can find the details for that on our social media platforms. So definitely check that out and get involved because we're giving away a cool prize package to two different listeners.
1: Heck yeah, we're we're back. Yes. Episode number two, season two. By the way, I want to really quickly apologize because I think we had an issue with our last few episodes on Apple amazon and google <laughs> yeah they were not playing for some reason but that is all good now so if you are listening on that platform you should be able to listen to our new episodes
0: plus side to that also if you weren't able to listen on those platforms and you've been waiting to now you can binge a few of them right so yeah at least you got that
1: today we'll be covering two different murder for hire cases both cases have a crazy twist that i did not expect so let's just go ahead and jump into our first story Mark and Dr. Teresa Sievers lived in Bonita Springs, Florida with their two daughters and seemed to have the perfect life. Many friends and family would describe the couple as very supportive towards each other. Teresa's occupation as a holistic doctor allowed her to start her own practice and her husband Mark would end up becoming the business manager. The clinic was a success and many people in their community would come in to see Teresa as a patient. Many described her as a kind and great person. Mark also did well in his role to grow their business. He was punctual and always got things done on time. Co-workers would recall how easy it was to work with the couple. And in 2015, the family made plans to go to Connecticut to visit Teresa's mother for her birthday. The trip started off well, but unfortunately Teresa would have to leave early because she had to see patients on Monday, so she had to go back to work. So she got on a flight and flew back home. When she arrived at home, she talked to Mark and she let him know that she had made it home safely. Teresa then pulled into the garage of her house and went inside. The next morning, Teresa didn't show up for work. Her employees texted Mark asking him if she was coming in and that she hadn't showed up yet. Mark would communicate back and forth with this one specific employee and uh, he would respond saying that Teresa wasn't answering his phone calls or text messages either. When that employee offered to go to their house and check on Teresa, Mark replied with a single text message saying no. And then he followed up later saying, I'll call you back. Mark would later contact his neighbor, Mark Petridis, asking him to go to their house to check on Teresa. When Mark arrived, he he would find Teresa lying dead on the kitchen floor. And we actually have the 911 call from uh, their neighbor finding Teresa in the kitchen.
0: 911, what is your emergency?
1: Uh, I'm, at, I'm at a friend's house. Uh, he's out of town and I came here to
0: check on his wife and she's dead on the floor. Okay, uh, The address okay. is. okay, stay on the number. line. Oh, sir, hold on, yeah. stay on the line. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you're doing yeah. very well, good job. Just yeah. a moment, we're gonna connect you. They're gonna ask yeah. for the address. MLSM Fire, what is the address of the
1: emergency? Okay, and is that a house or an apartment, sir? A house. Tell me exactly what happened.
0: Uh, My friend, uh, she's a doctor. Uh, I'm a doctor. Uh, She uh, came home uh, last night. Her husband is in uh, Connecticut, and uh, she was supposed to go to work at 9 o'clock. She called me, and I was on my way into work, so I swung by, and she's dead on the floor. And there's a hammer at the side, and she's bashed in the back of the head. Yeah, that's pretty crazy that that happened. I mean, can you believe that that this doctor was just, like, randomly, like, killed like that? Or possibly randomly killed? Like, she had just been in Connecticut with her family with her husband with her kids and celebrating probably a really good time with her mother and then she comes home and somehow she's dead the next morning and what a crappy situation for the neighbor too to walk in and find that I bet like he wasn't expecting that at all you know
1: yeah I mean so far it looks like a straight up murder you know just yeah the way I, it is with the family being gone um bonita springs is a pretty popular you know like rich area i would yeah, say you know very affluent so not a lot of s- you could expect crime. yeah you could expect someone breaking in and waiting for the owner to get back and stealing you know all their belongings
0: yeah but upon arrival to the um house the police found the place to be in order except for the kitchen where teresa was killed nothing had been ransacked and nothing was out of place and even though there was forty thousand dollars cash in the house that was still there the only thing they found was a bloody hammer with hair attached to it this was the weapon used to bludgeon teresa to death there was no clear motive for this killing initially police seemed to be baffled and left with very little clues as to why this would even happen Mark would arrive home the next day with his children, and police would interview him. Mark would be interviewed by police, and give, they, he would basically give them a solid alibi because he was in Connecticut with plenty of witnesses when the murder occurred. His actions during the interview, however, made the police suspicious because he almost seemed to be, like, performing during the interview. He would maintain his innocence, though, and without any proof, the police couldn't do anything at all. Internet sleuths who caught on to the story and took a liking to the case theorized that Dr. Teresa was murdered in a string of holistic doctor slayings. Three other holistic doctors had kind of been murdered in the like few weeks leading up to her death, so police thought that could be their lead. However, it never panned out. Finally, the police got a break in the case two weeks later when a late night phone call came into the police station by a family friend of the Seavers in Hillsboro, Missouri. The man was named Curtis Wainwright and he was a convicted five-time felon. He would implicate his friend named Jimmy Ray Rogers, aka The Hammer, in the murder. And the more the police dug into this, the more that they found.
1: Shout out to the internet, though, for always yes. conspiring and uh coming up with the theory that it was actually, or, you know, a theory that it was yeah. a murder.
0: It was, I mean, internet sleuths that actually helped take down the guy from um, Don't Fuck with Cats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. So, like, internet sleuths are pretty handy sometimes. Like, they're able to find info. Sometimes the police aren't even. So. Yeah, shout out to them. Even though,
1: by the way, we gotta do an episode on that shit.
0: Oh yeah, we should. Yeah, we should totally do that. That was a wild story. But
1: yeah, and I, how come? Like, how's this guy's name? This the hammer, dude. Oh, right. I need to have a nickname like that.
0: And the murder weapon is a yeah, hammer. A hammer. <laughs> like yeah. what? But this is too much of a coincidence.
1: Yeah. So we've got two shady guys.
0: Yeah, felons at that. Five-time felon. That's insane. That is. Curtis Wayne
1: Wright and Jimmy the Hammer Rogers (laughs) would both become persons of interest to police, but neither would admit to playing a role in the murder. However, it was Jimmy's girlfriend that would lead police to evidence that they needed to jumpstart the case. The woman Taylor Schumacher, Schumacher would state that her boyfriend Jimmy Ray Rogers confessed to her and multiple people in their town that he had killed a woman in Florida by bashing her head with a hammer in her home. Wow, he's, he's, uh... Boasting it, too. Yeah.
0: What a jerk.
1: You would think that would not be smart. Nope. But not the hammer. Not him. <laughs> not many people believed his story because he was all, he was known to lie. You can, you can kind of get a gist of how this guy is.
0: Yeah, he's a shady fella. I mean, if you're a convicted felon and you're in and out of the judicial system, then... Well, he's
1: straight up, seems like a dick, but...
0: Oh, yeah, Totally.
1: Anyways, his girlfriend would not only give facts of the killing that only the killer would know, but she would also provide evidence. She would take police out onto a rural road in Missouri and show the police the location of a blue jumpsuit that Jimmy said he was wearing when he murdered Teresa. She also admitted to throwing the jumpsuit out of the window of the car when Jimmy Jimmy demanded her to. The police questioned Jimmy, but he wouldn't divulge a lot of information. He stated he was stuck in bed sick that weekend. Later he would state that he was working on his car the weekend Teresa was killed. He also told police that he didn't like cops, so he wouldn't be talking to them anymore. As well as telling police that he doesn't hang out with Curtis Wayne Wright because he was a nerd. <laughs> like I said, this guy is he's dumb. <laughs> yeah, and he's, you know. Dummy. He has one up it, you know, up his ass. So.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Without the help of Jimmy, the police got a warrant to search the property of Curtis Wainwright. This is where the police found a rental car with a mobile GPS in the middle console of the vehicle. They were hoping that this GPS information would help provide them with more information, but upon inspection it was discovered that the info had been deleted. The cops thought they'd for sure find evidence, so they sent the GPS back to the manufacturer who was able to recover the data. After hundreds of hours, they were able to give the police the break they needed.
0: Wow. So this is getting this is getting interesting. They have these two perps that, you know, they have his jumpsuit, Jimmy's jumpsuit. They're probably in the middle of DNA testing it. And they've got Curtis Wainwright, who's like, look, like it was Jimmy. I know it was Jimmy. It's kind of. Ironic that the police had a hunch that they would find something on this GPS system.
1: Well, this guy is also not the brightest, right? I mean, he's going around town bragging that he killed this woman, and then on top of that, his girlfriend completely sells
0: him out. Well, wouldn't you? I mean, she's kind of an accomplice. Like, if she knows, yeah. I mean, I would say anything. I would
1: do the same thing. But yeah, I mean, just like
0: you would sell me out. I'm just kidding. I I would hope you would do the right thing, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, this is just, I mean, turning into something very interesting and not clean. Yeah. No kidding. Well, they,
1: they left, they didn't return the rental car. What are you, what are you doing with the rental car? No,
0: it wasn't. Okay. So they, they had, they, that was a rental car that he had for a certain amount of time, but it wasn't the rental car like with a built-in GPS system. It was like one of those little mobile Garmin GPSs that can go into different cars. But um, yeah, so they get this GPS system back from the manufacturer. And in fact, there was a route discovered that went from Curtis's house to Jimmy's house, then all the way South to the Seavers residence in Florida, totally disproving their statements that they weren't in Florida at the time of the murder. The GPS coordinates would also lead the police to a Walmart in Bonita Springs where Jimmy and Curtis were both caught on camera buying super suspicious items such as uh, um, lock picking sets, cleaning items, and even garbage bags. So they were captured on camera at nearby gas stations as well in the same area. The police had their killers and the evidence finally, but the investigation would continue on since there was no clear motive in the case. Curtis Wainwright would change that and shock the count, the community of Bonita Springs even more when he would tell police that he had information, but he wanted a deal. Wright wanted to plead guilty to second-degree murder for an exchange of 25 years to life, um, so he would be basically spared the death penalty. But the police said this would only happen if he would testify truthfully to the court. It would turn out that the connection between Teresa, Curtis, and Jimmy was in fact her husband, Mark Seavers. Mark Seavers was Curtis's best friend in high school and throughout most of their lives. Curtis and Mark were such good friends that Mark attended his wedding just months before. He stated that this is when Mark made the plan to kill Teresa in a murder-for-hire scheme. Police would bring Mark in for questioning for a second time, and this is when they knew they had their guy. Mark's behavior in the interrogation room was bizarre and seemed to be staged. In the footage, Mark would have, like, breathing issues and act like he was going to slam his fists on the table, and he would even act like he was going to shove the table into the wall, which I found funny because on that interview footage, when he acts like he's going to shove the table into the wall, it's already in a corner, so (laughs) it wouldn't go anywhere, like, anyways— But the other thing um, that he was doing is he would like act out and like walk through the room and he would be like, oh, I know you're going to get the man responsible for this and do all these like weird things. But there was even points in the videos where he would look up at the camera and then start doing more bizarre things like he knew he he was was being watched. Yeah, he was just acting for the camera.
1: And really quickly, Mm -hmm. just to throw it in there, Mark and his friend Curtis they eerily looked like twins
0: yeah there's they look like the same guy yes it's crazy absolutely crazy how much they look alike but um police would start to question mark and um they would ask him if he and his wife were having like marital issues or anything like that and mark said they weren't but the police knew that they were having marital and financial issues he was adamant about helping the police during this round of questioning, but a week later, he would stop completely.
1: Yeah, I, I don't like this guy at all. I mean, just like the way he's acting during the inter- interrogation is just...
0: Sketch. I mean, you're not acting like a grieving husband at all, bro. Like, what are you doing?
1: You're acting like you're trying to save yourself.
0: Yeah, it's like he, it's like a narcissist, you know? But
1: Yeah, I mean, mm. so far, every everyone involved in the case did not act and like like they didn't take care of this they didn't do a good job it wasn't a clean job and they messed up so and that's good because they're about to they're
0: about to go about to go
1: down yeah the trial for jimmy rogers would start not too long after mark refused to communicate with the police jimmy was on trial for murdering teresa and it was up to the jury to decide if they believe the testimony of curtis Wainwright. wright It wouldn't take the jury members long to find Jimmy Rogers guilty of murder in the second degree. He was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Since he made a a deal prior to the trials, Curtis Wayne Wright would also receive 25 years per his plea agreement. Now it was time to go after the man behind the plan, Mark Seavers. Curtis Wayne Wright was the only one who helped Mark make this plan happen, so he didn't hold back while testifying against him in court. The story Curtis gave was that Mark had asked him about doing this two months earlier at Curtis's wedding in Missouri. Like, what the hell?
0: Yeah, so this is pre planned for sure.
1: At a wedding, though? Like, bro, I'm
0: I'm getting married, dude. Hey, uh, before I walk down the aisle, can we, like, get this plan together to, like, kill my wife, bro? Like,
1: absolutely crazy.
0: Ridiculous.
1: Mark suggested that his wife should be shot outside of her practice and when Curtis asked about other people getting shot in the crossfire, Mark replied stating that anyone else was just collateral damage and it would just help to keep the suspicion off of him.
0: What a friggin narcissistic piece of crap. What the hell bro.
1: The police put heavy surveillance on Mark and he seemed to not be leaving his house. The police knew they had their man, but were afraid to force entry into the home to apprehend him. They knew that he still had custody of his daughters and that, you know, they were inside with him. The biggest concern was the safety of the, the two little girls. They knew Mark kept lots of guns around the house and they were worried that there would be a standoff and that the daughters would become hostages. So one day the police arrived at Mark's home. They rang the doorbell. They saw the two girls peek out the window, and then they could see Mark getting up to start walking towards the door. He then retreated away from the door with his phone in his hand. And then one police officer said to another that if he doesn't answer the door in the next minute, they would force enter into the house. Luckily for everyone, he did answer the door, and he was then taken into custody by the police.
0: I'm
1: glad he was smart enough to do that, though, because if he... You know, he honestly seems like a wuss. I don't think he would stand off with the police. I, I don't think he has the balls to do that.
0: He didn't have the balls to do the whole killing of his wife himself. He had to hire people to do it, like, whatever. But, I mean, I'm I'm thankful for that the most, too, because they had lost so much already by losing their mom, and then to be put through something like that possibly would, oh my I mean, gosh. totally screw, screw them up, you know, like that... Would be terrible to live through. But as the trial of Mark Seaver started on the day of Mark and Teresa's 12th wedding anniversary, the defense team would start to throw a curveball into the mix. They would claim that Curtis was in love with Mark and acted alone to get Teresa out of his way so he could be with Mark instead, saying that he was super jealous because Mark and Teresa had a beautiful home, had two beautiful daughters, like he just wanted to be what Teresa was. But Curtis would paint a different picture completely by telling the court that he wasn't involved with Mark, that Mark had confided in him that Teresa was having an affair and there were money problems too. So the only solution would be to kill her and collect the insurance money. Mark would also use that money to pay Curtis $100,000 for doing the job. Wright would also go on to explain to the court that Mark had also given him a $600 check to cover travel and materials that they needed to kill Teresa, and this check was even displayed in court. Curtis would admit to helping Jimmy Rogers hit Teresa with the hammer after she made eye contact with him. The trial would continue on with many more accusations being thrown about, but when it came down to the verdict, Mark was found guilty of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder next was his sentencing trial where he was eligible for the death penalty. The jury voted in favor for the death penalty but the judge had the power to overturn that. Mark and Teresa's oldest daughter wrote a letter to the court asking for her father's life to be spared even though she didn't want a relationship with him. She thought that maybe in the future she might want one but she would never get that chance if he was executed. The judge, however, did not accept this request, and Mark Seavers was sentenced to death. Appeals have been filed, but to this day, Mark sits on death row awaiting his sentence.
1: Good. To be honest with you, I'm kind of happy that the judge denied the request because I feel like he was looking out for the daughters. Yeah. That, you know, that he's gone at this point.
0: Good. You don't need
1: him in your life. Move on. And what if he were to get out and do it again, but with his daughters next
0: you know? It's sad because Mark Seavers orphaned his own daughters. He really did because his wife, their mother, is dead and now he's going to be killed. Like, that's so sad. What a a piece of shit.
1: You know, these murder-for-hire cases are so sad because majority of the time, it is... Either the husband going after the wife or the wife after the husband and that's that's the case in probably yeah. like ninety percent of the cases. I mean
0: then when there's kids in the mix, that just makes it ten times more heartbreaking. Yeah,
1: it's either insurance money or Affairs, divorce.
0: Like custodies. Yeah, it's um it's pretty messed up.
1: Now let's go ahead and get started with our second story. This case is even more nutty than the last one. Diana was a beautiful and physically fit woman. After graduation, she started a job and became a triathlete, fitness instructor, and a YouTuber before it was even popular. Greg, who was a good looking young man that was also into fitness, would graduate college and go into computer programming. He and Diana had a lot in common and would really connect over these things. They got married in 2007. The couple was successful and lived in Carlsbad, California. They seemed to have started a great life together where everyone around them would describe their marriage as happy. Soon, they would face many challenges trying to start a family. They would go through eight miscarriages and that would start to make their marriage fall apart. They decided to try one more time and they finally got pregnant. Because of their struggles with fertility, Diana's pregnancy was considered high risk and she was limited in what she could do. However, she was able to carry the baby boy to full term in 2012. Although they had finally got the baby they tried so hard for, their relationship was still on the rocks, and the two drifted further apart. Greg would lose his job and would become unemployed for an extended period of time, leaving Diana to work and provide for the family while Greg took care of their son.
0: That is a lot for a marriage
1: eight miscarriages that's so sad
0: that is so sad like you when you're a couple that starts trying you're so enthusiastic about it and you just you know hope for and think of the best thing happening you don't expect that you're going to go through eight miscarriages you know that's a lot and then for greg to job on top of it And her having the pressure of being the breadwinner of the family, that had to have been really hard on her and them altogether. But by 2014, their relationship had crumbled so much that Greg filed for divorce that year. The divorce and custody battle really became hostile. Diana would end up serving Greg with a temporary restraining order stating that Greg had sexually assaulted her and their son. Greg denied all allegations and was given 10 hours a week of supervised visits with his son. The restraining order was then dropped eventually in 2015 after everyone involved agreed that there was no way that Greg was abusing his son. Like, they literally put him and the son through so much testing, like, all types of, like, That's so sad. psychologists and court reporters and DCFS and Greg passed everything with flying colors and they even did a test to see which parent was better fit to raise the son and Greg came out on top of that. So... Greg was finally awarded 50-50 custody of his son, and Diana was not happy about this. She would also have to pay Greg $100 in child support each month.
1: Which is nothing.
0: Nothing, of $100. course. $100. Especially in California. Well, like, what? Lem-
1: let me rephrase that, but, you know, yes, someone in, living in Carlsbad, yeah. her being well off, yeah, $100 a month in child support, like, come on.
0: Yeah, that's nothing, but... Soon after this arrangement was made through the courts, Greg would get a call one night around 10.30 p.m. from an unknown number. He answered and the anonymous caller claimed to be a private investigator. He would tell Greg that he had documents that would help him make a better case against Diana and that he could find them at the base of a phone wire pole in a deserted area in the hills of Carlsbad. This definitely threw Greg off, so he called a friend and he called the non-emergency police to get their opinion on the situation. The friend agreed to go with Greg, but the police would not and warned him that this was kind of strange. So Greg decided to go ahead and check it out because I'm sure he was a little desperate at that time but when they got there, the area was not well lit at all, so Greg decided to use a flashlight to help make their way towards the pole. The only thing that they found at the base of the pole was an Angry Birds towel. So sensing that they were kind of in danger, Greg used his flashlight to kind of canvas the area, and when his flashlight scanned this like bushy area, he saw a man laying down in the dirt with a sniper pointed at them. Greg yelled gun, and he and his friend sprinted towards the vehicle. Seven shots rang out, and one hit Greg in the side of his back, barely missing his heart. He was able to get to the vehicle with his friend, and his friend drove them to safety and called 911. He reported that his friend had been shot and he was bleeding very heavily. The police and ambulance would arrive shortly after, and police searched the area thinking, you know, there's got to be an active shooter on the loose, but no one was found in the area. They didn't even find shell casings from the bullets. They would, however, find a towel that was covered in human fecal matter. What the fuck? <laughs> they
1: found a towel With covered
0: in shit. A poo towel. <laughs> like, what the hell, guys? Oh, Greg would make it to the hospital alive, thank goodness. And he would be rushed into surgery. By a miracle, Greg survived his life threatening injuries. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't get over the poo towel.
1: I just can't imagine being the <laughs> detective that found the shi- the shitty towel. God. Hey, I got something.
0: Oh, what is that? <laughs> it's like pokes
1: at it with his finger, just takes a <laughs> oh, whiff.
0: stop. Whoa, what? Oh, at least he didn't try it, I guess. <laughs> I guess he was
1: nervous. Gosh, man. When police alerted Diana around 3.30 a.m., The reaction they got was surprising. She wasn't upset at all or grieving for Greg. At one point she even giggled. That's when police became suspicious of her and they started digging into the situation. Upon finding out that Diana and Greg had a bitter divorce and a custody battle, they also uncovered that Diana had to pay Greg half of what their house was worth, a whopping $120,000. This infuriated Diana and it would turn out that, you know, she started to plot to do more than pay or give custody to Greg. She had actually been plotting to kill him. Police had Diana on their radar, but didn't have any proof that she was involved until they got a break. They decided to trace the number that called Greg that night, but it was traced back to a burner phone. They wouldn't be able to find who the phone belonged to, but they were able to trace the phone to the store it was purchased from. It was then they found the store footage of Diana buying the burner phone. The phone was purchased two weeks prior to the shooting, and the police finally had enough evidence to bring Diana in for questioning about being involved in the assassination attempt. During questioning, Diana would maintain her innocence and repeatedly said that she was home all night. When police pressed her about hiring someone to kill her husband, the truth would finally come out. Diana had decided that she wanted to get a gun and take lessons on how to use it. She would meet shooting instructor Weldon McDavid Jr., and he would be the one to give her lessons. She would tell Weldon that she was trying to learn how to protect herself and her son against her husband, who had abused them. Weldon and Diana would start to form a relationship over time, and he would offer her to protect her from Greg. At first, Diana would tell police that Walden just Walden would just go and scare Greg and then, you know, basically try to convince him into giving up his parental rights. But eventually, she came clean and told them that she would pay Walden $1000 to kill Greg.
0: a oh, $1000.
1: You know, obviously a lot of the a lot of the times the the killer, the person who's hired is in need of money. You know, $1,000 to kill someone is not a lot of money, but to this guy, it could have it been.
0: been. Well, and here's the thing, too, that I found out. Weldon had a girlfriend and a newborn baby boy, yeah. so he probably needed that. But another thing, when Diana and Weldon formed their little relationship or whatever, Diana admitted to the police that she had slept with Weldon one time but regretted it because... Of the girlfriend and the baby. So they had a sexual relationship on top of just... I just I just think
1: Diana was trying to...
0: Persuade. Persuade
1: him and get him on her side so she can use him to kill Greg. Agreed. Police brought Walden in for questioning next and he would deny even knowing Diana. He stated that he was at home the night of the shooting. <laughs> the police had the towel with shit on it. And uh, they were able to use that as leverage. And that's when Walden claimed he had been in the area on a run and he had to relieve himself. <laughs> so he did and used a towel to clean up. But he left it there and wasn't in the area that night. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't know how many of you guys go out for a run and uh, need to yourself. take a shit, but <laughs> I'm definitely not carrying a towel with me to wipe my shit with. You yeah.
0: <laughs> know? Yeah, I. Nope. I've never
1: had that experience oh um, i don't understand so the towel actually happened to match a set that diana had at her house and the police knew he was lying so they used that as evidence against him to get a warrant to search his home there they would find the gun used in the assassination attempt Weldon would then confess and corroborate diana's story and they were both arrested The two would go through a very cut and dry trial with plenty of evidence against them and would be found guilty. Diana would be found guilty for conspiracy to murder and would be sentenced to 26 years to life in prison. The look she made when she heard the verdict was of pure shock and she thought she was going to get away. While the jury read the verdict for Walden, Diana appeared to pass out in her seat, but upon examination by the doctors... It was proven that she was faking it. The verdict was the same for Weldon, and he was sentenced to 50 years to life for the attempted murder of Greg Mulvahill. Wow.
0: <laughs> the poo towel. The damning evidence was a towel that had poop on it. Oh, my God.
1: Just, oh. just crouching, laying down in the bushes.
0: So, I didn't add this in here for, like, timing's sake, but one thing I wanted to add was Walden... He was a former Marine. And so one of his arguments in court was that, well, I'm a trained Marine, and Marines know to go for the center mass of someone if they're gonna kill them or the head. So if I wanted him dead or if I was there to kill him, I would have killed him. He wouldn't be here today. So that's interesting. No, or like, he was
1: a bad shot.
0: Yeah, you missed, they were
1: They were running.
0: Yeah,
1: and you missed, bro. They were moving targets. They Sorry, they have they have your shit on the scene. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my god, I cannot get over it. Oh my god. Not. He, he took Diana's talent. He
1: used it. Dude, you left. Himself. You left it all. You put it all on the table. You whipped it out, and you left it all there.
0: <laughs> all, all the shits on the table.
1: You put Diana and yourself at the scene of the crime. Yeah. And you had the murder weapon or the attempted murder weapon at your house. There's no getting out, bro.
0: (laughs) These dummies, like, maintained their innocence the whole time. And it was like, yeah, it just, that's why I said, okay, it was just a cut and dry case. Because there was literally all the evidence against them. Like, that, gosh, what a a freaking joke.
1: What a crazy episode, man. These murder for hire cases, you know, don't do that shit. Talk it out. You well, know. and
0: did we also put in there? You know, Mark lived, so Mark got to testify in this trial too. Like, so that was a uh, plot to kill that failed. You know, and then the other one, Greg he, lived. Sadly, yeah, Greg she, lived. Teresa passed, but yeah, man.
1: If you're in a tough relationship <sighs> I just, I just, or going through tough times, go to counseling and <laughs> get straight up. You know, no joke though. I mean, just like you know, get it together and do Don't it peacefully. Do it peacefully. And, uh, let us know what you guys think about the two cases. I mean, these cases are absolutely insane with the twist, um, the hammer, you know, and then the shit towel, towel. (laughs) yo, I mean, if you're going to commit a crime, don't, don't shit where you're going to commit the crime. That's what we learned today. Let us know what you guys think. Thank you once again for joining us for another episode. We love you guys. We do love you. And, again, just a reminder, we are still doing a giveaway. Um, Check us out on Facebook and Instagram. We're going to be announcing the winners next week if we have a winner. (laughs) But with that being said, the more you know, the less you fear. So So tune in in next week right back here. Peace. Peace.